Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Leader podcast is Phil Dana. Phil is the head of HR at Dendrion, a biopharmaceutical company that develops immunotherapy treatments to battle cancer. Their flagship product, Provenge, has been used to treat over 40,000 men with advanced prostate cancer. Hey, Phil, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Darren. It's been awesome to reconnect, and uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. So, Phil, it's interesting to think about your background. Is How does a um, ex-Navy guy uh, doing a lot of different things before, like, how do you get into HR? I think like most people in HR, you kind of stumble into it, or somebody whispers in your ear, and in that very rare moment, I actually listened to the person that was whispering. In my case, I transitioned out of the military and had uh, somebody who had worked with before who knew me. So that's an important highlight, who knew knew me, who my strengths, knew my opportunities. Certainly, there were quite a few, and whispered in my ear at some point after watching me uh, work uh, as a construction manager. I built houses in Las Vegas, and he said, you would be really good down here at headquarters in HR. And as a former Navy guy, I had a vision of what HR was that was not even close, completely different planet. And in that moment, I listened to him. And uh, boy, that was I lucky. Yeah, what a big shift. I didn't realize the construction worker piece. So ex-Navy guy, construction worker, HR. So what was it about that? What were those words he said? And like, what was really, what intrigued you in terms of what HR could be? As I got to know the business world, you know, I worked for one of the, the country's largest home builders. And so we were out in Vegas building a, a ton of houses, a lot of complexity, a lot of business language. And as many who transitioned from the military, I was faking it until I make it. I was honing my PowerPoint and Excel skills and trying to keep up because uh, building houses is, is, is a pretty good business to learn from. I quickly realized that hiring onboarding, developing, and retaining the best talent would make me a successful builder, uh, especially relative to the 50 other divisions that were across the U.S. And somehow, the way I was doing it, because I didn't get a lot of training or onboarding myself, was really resonating and the results were showing. And the folks at headquarters in Dallas were paying attention and watching me. And uh, one day, they just came up and asked how I was doing it. I said, well, I'm literally running my site like a ship. You know, I had a clean site. I mustered all 32 subs in the morning, the supervisors. I spent time walking the houses with the guys that were building it. I built those relationships. So, you know, in, anything a, a, a decent leader would be doing. And to me, it wasn't about the complexities or the technicalities of building a house because I'd never really done it before. It was just about the people, the people aspect of it. And the more I focused on it and the better I got our results based on the people the more the smarter folks at headquarters kept saying you would be good in HR. 
Yeah, it's interesting is, is think about just how roles have changed and how, how certain C-suite titles get elevated into that table. And, and how has the role of an HR leader evolved over the years? Obviously, you've had a long track record. You've worked for some very, very large brands. So like, how has HR changed? Like, how has the perception changed in terms of HR as being more of a strategic function? Yeah, I think it's definitely come full circle to the Jack Welch days where a head of HR could possibly step into a CEO role. And I think truly the best HR leaders, and I'm I'm still striving to be, so this is not a this is me kind of statement, but the best HR leaders know the business down cold, could probably step in to most of the aspects of business and, and run those or lead those. And that allows you to get ahead of it and to open the doors, create the runways, and to predict what the people problems will be because as most of us know in business, the people aspect, one, is usually your largest line item. Two, like a golf game, is never perfected. And three, if you get it wrong in early stages or at critical stages, uh, it'll sink the whole ship. And so, you know, one of the quotes I think somewhere on my LinkedIn profile is the measure of a great ship is in its crew and not its guns. That is certainly true nowadays as the business speed is accelerating now folks are looking for three, five-year exits, equity moments, the speed of innovation, the amount of new tech, new medical science. It's really picked up and continues to pick up. And so the faster you are as an HR leader, the more knowledgeable of the space and the business you are, probably the better you're going to perform in your role. Yeah, you make a great point in terms of the strength of a ship is the team and not the guns. And it's interesting is you know, people think, oh, they're a technology company. Oh, they're a biotech company. Oh, they're, oh, oh yeah, we're truly our human capital company. I mean, a professional services company. But at the end of the day, we're all people companies. So that's an interesting point you make about, you think about a ship and the guns, but it, of course, it's the crew that is really the power there. I'd love to do a beta test someday. And maybe McKinsey or somebody like that has already tried it, but I would love to take a build a team of the best leaders I can find on the face of the planet and then have no technology. And then over here, have the best tech, something super cool, groundbreaking, but have average, mediocre folks and leaders, and then just throw a surprise tech on the team of, of awesome leaders and a great team and see which one wins. I think if this was Vegas, I would bet on the team of superior people versus the tech. Yeah, I think it's an important point is, is the, the people, you know, the technology really should enable the people, not replace the people. So you mentioned something else interesting in terms of just the pace of business increasing. Like, talk to me about like, what are the implications from a people perspective and from a culture perspective as well? Definitely perceptions are shifting quickly. You know, looking at my LinkedIn profile, I look like a gypsy. The reality is every time I moved, it was a zig and zag. It was an added tool in my toolkit, which enables me to be an HR leader for a startup and a turnaround simultaneously. I wouldn't survive if it weren't for some of the zigs and zags and this and the battle scar tissue difference between wisdom and knowledge, right? And so, you know, in today's age, I think seeing, you know, experiences that are less than five years is okay. Because, you know, if if you're a fast mover with a quick learning curve, 18 months, 24 months, you should have it wired. You should be training your, your, your relief or succession plan and thinking about what's next. That's just my humble opinion. But those that have sat in a job and not kept up with the pace 
of the political and economic changes, the technologies that are out there. They really struggle coming into an environment like where I am now at Dendrion Pharmaceuticals. It's a brutal environment for somebody who needs structure and a stable pace and predictability. It's just not where you want to be. And so what are those skills in terms of how do you thrive in that environment? So that's a super interesting challenge. I mean, people think about an existing legacy company or a startup, not not both, right? Like, especially that you have the turnaround element as well. It's like, how do you how do you create that culture? How do you actually get people on board to be successful in that environment, a very unique environment? Yeah, you know, I think you and I share common ground in our work with the Honor Foundation and transitioning spec ops, Navy SEALs and other spec ops folks uh, into corporate America. And, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on culture, know thyself, identifying your strengths and really creating the compass that points you in the right direction. And some of that is purpose, mission, vision. You know, what is the purpose of the organization? Is it clear? Are there clear defined values that are differentiating? I think Bezos did a phenomenal job with Amazon in the early days with customer obsession and data-driven. Those two, more than the others, really stood out uh, when I was a recruiter there because, you know, we, we were able to go after a lot of great talent, great brands, and this is not a knock against them, but Microsoft, GE, and the IBMs were great talent pools for us. The problem was that they didn't really, many of them didn't really align to those two specifically. You know, they thought they were data-driven until, you know, they get in front of Jeff Bezos, who knew every pixel on the screen of a Kindle. And then the customer obsession, I think, I don't think anyone had really understood what that meant until spending time there. So I think the true north, uh, the clear values, the willingness to change and evolve, the new technologies, different systems, different asks, different requests, different needs of of whoever the client or the patient is in, in our case, to be able to solve problems with a smile on your face and not getting stressed out and bringing friction to the workplace or between you and others is, is always key. So the team ability, if you put one word on it, it's becoming more important in agile kind of environments, team ability. And then I think last is inquisition, the ability to be curious, to ask questions, to understand something and to not, I don't know, something about today's age where people tend to carry ego and pride a little too much. Like it's okay to say you don't understand something figure it out, you'll end up being a better leader if you get into it and try to understand it. It's so much to unpack right there. You talk about a true north, values, team ability, agility, inquisition, ego, or I guess lack of ego. So I'd love just to zero out on the true north things. I think so many people think about, they talk about that. I don't think a lot of companies truly have one that really rings true with their employees. Is like, how do you go about creating like a truly authentic true north, and I don't mean authentic from a cliche perspective, but something that really rings true and, and serves as an anchor point and a motivation to all the staff. Like, How do you go about doing that and bringing it to life? Yeah, I can't help but think about my current state. You know, at Denryon Pharmaceuticals, we serve old guys that have prostate cancer. We all have had fathers, hopefully, or father figures in our lives. And my dad passed from a liver cancer tumor, although not the client that we serve specifically, but I can't help but think about him every day, that if liver cancer at that time had an immunotherapy product similar to Provenge, that I would have jumped right into it. In fact, we did a lot of research around it, ended up taking him to China for an off-label, and maybe extended his life for a couple of years. So here I am, 
fast forward a few years, this was back when I was at Life Technologies, now here at Dendrion. It resonates with me. It resonated as I researched the company. It resonated so much in my conversation with the CEO that he waived some of the requirements of the role because I didn't have the years of experience in pharmaceuticals because he felt the authenticity and the transparency and a little bit of the Irish heartstring tug when I said, look, I really want to work here because this is important to me. And as I get older, it becomes more and more important to know that my life is meaningful and that I'm, I'm impacting people more than putting thinking that I'm putting logos on my tombstone, meaning company logos. And so I think you know, experiences, whether it's service in the military or tough experiences in life, or maybe your family has gone through some tough things or yourself, when you find a career where you're spending more hours doing it than many other things in your life that aligns to that, it sure becomes clearer of what you need to do and how you need to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk about purpose more in a second, because obviously you're a purpose-driven guy. I mean, it, it just comes loud and clear as even talking to you. But just back to the, in terms of creating that sense of purpose within the organization, I think that's interesting is, I mean, assuming not everyone has that personal connection to cancer, or maybe they maybe they do, is how do you create that individualized connection to that set, that's a sense of purpose and that true north for the company? Yeah, so a couple of different ways, you know, so you said two things there. If, if you have it, then, you know, you definitely, as an HR leader, you want to put it on the front. You want to have it in your marketing, your career site, in the job description, in the process of interviewing. You know, even when you go to the building, is it is it clear in the lobby? When you're walking around talking to people or even bumping into them in the, in the break room between interviews, are, are they discussing it? I took a group of Navy SEALs to SpaceX as an example. And I swear to God, over 30 people within an hour told us they're all going to Mars. Uh, it was so powerful, so clear, so potent that by the time we left, we all thought we were going to Mars with them. I mean, that's how how clear and, and strong the Kool-Aid was. So that's one, one way. But say you don't want to go to Mars. Say you haven't fought cancer or have lost a family member, but you still want to work in an organization. The best thing you can do is, br- is bring it in, incorporate it into your day-to-day whether it's pictures, videos, or actually bringing the patients in to meet everybody. Nothing was more powerful for me than to meeting one of our patients at Denrion Pharmaceutical at a national sales meeting and talking to his wife about the impact our company had on her life, their life, the family's life, as well as bringing a patient into a manufacturing facility and having two of the people that worked on his product, took his blood cells and turned it into the product, put it back in his body to change his life. For that patient to meet those two people that were in the lab working long, crazy hours to do that, I didn't need to be there. Uh, I wasn't a part of it. But to see that and to feel the interaction, extremely powerful. You know, many industries, the great FedEx stories of Fred Smith hiring senior execs all the way to EVP level and making them drive a truck for two weeks. When I started at Amazon, I saw Jeff Bezos in a, in a pick and pack situation in Reno in the early days, wrapping Christmas presents to get through peak season. And I think the savage leaders, you know, quoting your book, those are the types of leaders that will set the example, get everybody pointed in the same direction because you really believe in the purpose so much that everybody's going to feel it. Yeah, I mean, I love what you said. It's it's almost bringing in 
the end customer. I mean, what a powerful story bringing in a cancer patient and his wife, but it's almost like flipping out the, the idea of empathy, the like IDEO design thinking where you're getting in yourself in the shoes, but you're actually applying it now to build culture and to build purpose. And it's a great way to learn more about what our customer pain points within in this. It's, just, it's, it's in service of helping people get a greater connection to that sense of purpose. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, it, before we started, you talked about some of the quotes from folks that have read your book, The Savage leader and what it meant to them and how it impacted them. And, and that, that was a big deal to you, clearly, because you, you, you brought it up and the passion and your energy lit up. So as you know, somebody, anyone that wakes up in the morning wanting to do a good job, putting long, hard hours into a job, again, usually more hours in the job versus your family or anything else in life, to feel that, to get that, to measure it, it's uh, sometimes far more important than compensation or anything else. Yeah, it's funny. People, most people say it's about the money, but eh, as you know, it's it's not really about the money. You know, maybe some extent or some short duration, but yeah, that sense of purpose. I mean, for me, doing something that matters and seeing shifts in people, and it's not about ego. When I see how the book impacted people, but it's, it's like just it feels great to see people change in their lives and get past barriers and obstacles. Like to me, that's what gets me super pumped. It's awesome. So that sense of purpose, it's an interesting topic because it, it's it may seem inaccessible to most people, right? It's like, so I'm going to talk about creating purpose and in, in like creating it, not finding it. Cause most people don't have that, they you know, that flash of light experience. Some do, but the majority don't, at least based on my perspective. But how do you, from an organizational perspective, create a sense of purpose when you don't have necessarily a clear connection, like a dendrion to helping cancer patients or the honor foundation and helping former special ops guys transition into the civilian world, world like, a manufacturer or just a professional services company, like how do you go about creating a sense of purpose? Because I know you've worked with a, a range of companies, you know, from from the Intuits of the world to the Zovios of the world, which maybe they don't have as clear of a path to purpose. Like, but how do you do that? Because I'm trying to think about the majority of organizations that exist out there. Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, it starts at the top. You know, one of the books behind me, Extreme Ownership, there's no bad teams, just bad leaders. And so as a, as a leader, you have to, Whatever the purpose is, you have to communicate it frequently, clearly, and check for feedback that it's getting through to your to your folks. Even if you're a widget maker, you know, there's nothing sexy about designing the outlet that's that's near me in my office here. But that CEO, you know, could get in front of his company and very clearly say, without this outlet, homes don't get electricity. Without electricity, you don't get X, Y, and Z. And so, it, you know, sometimes it might be a little bit of a stretch, but I think most things in life do have a purpose. And it's really up to the leaders to set it, communicate it, and to make sure that the folks under them or around them are feeling it, understand it, and can strive for it. As an HR guy, I also have to say it's, you know, a lot of it goes into designing and executing a great performance management system. You know, clear job description. How do you set the goals? How do you assimilate, develop, retain towards that? How do you reward the right behaviors? How do you identify the strengths, the opportunities along the way for individual development plans and all that kind of stuff? Again, people is like a golf game, right? It's complicated. Nobody's ever hit a 18 holes in one in a row, and nobody's ever hired, developed, and retained the perfect human being ever. And so, you know, having a great performance management system that can keep it somewhat contained in a multi-dimensional space is important. And then last is, you know, letting letting people feel the end game. The end game 
is is absolutely critical. If you're a worker bee in the trenches and you never get to see the the car that you helped build, you never get to get in it and drive it. As a leader, you're screwing it up. You're missing out. Put that worker bee on the line. Have them drive that brand new Mustang. That worker bee will will be happier on the line. I promise. Great practical advice is, is show how it impacts, right? Like whether it's the, the cancer patient coming in and also the electrical outlet. I love you picked a totally unsexy example, but you went even beyond just like, you know, electrification of a household and the benefits of having light and in, in warmth, but even going beyond that. So I think it's a great two very practical examples. But you also alluded to something I know we talked about when I interviewed you for the book is around this concept of lifelong learning. Like talk about the importance of lifelong learning. I know you, you do some really interesting themes or things with your teams at, at the various stops along the way. So talk to me about lifelong learning and then some of the things that you do to foster that within a team. Yeah, whether it's a little things like, you know, creating a book club, having a shelf like what's behind me in the office and letting folks uh, grab them, which I don't have currently, but I've done in the past. Uh, that's my disclaimer. Or bringing content into the workplace, encouraging your team to subscribe, you know, as a leader, I feel like it's my duty almost, and it happens to be one of my Gallup strengths input to take applicable and relative content, digest it, and then send it out to others. I'm that guy, whether you hate me or love me on the team, whether it's my peers or my team under me, if I think there's something that's good and that should be shared and digested, I'm the guy that will forward it out. I'm the guy that will put it on LinkedIn and tag a bunch of people, you know, whatever it is. And I think that's critical as a leader, whether you're a reader or not, to put yourself in the middle of that, to be the conduit will make your team stronger. You know, uh, I think Admiral Stravitas and General McChrystal both uh, have publicly put out several times in their books and, and their talks uh, that the best leaders in, in the world have always been avid readers and learners. I think like many others, uh, I've made many mistakes throughout life. Some of it's wisdom versus knowledge. So just because you're reading doesn't mean you're going to be a great leader. And so uh, to also uh, run into walls, fail fail hard and fast, and, and learn from it. To me, that's a big part of a learning culture as well as the zero tolerance. All that kind of stuff gets in the way of superior results. Allow your folks to to hit a wall and bounce off and keep going. I think that's a big part of the learning culture. Yeah, I mean, just you're a great example that you go from the Navy to construction to, and I'm going to miss a few of these, but you know, to an education company, to the Honor Foundation, to Intuit, to now you're in pharmaceuticals is obviously you've had to learn some things. So, I mean, you mentioned even before, you know, you um, were able, you were such a good fit with purpose that you were hired into Dendrion, but I'm assuming there was a ton of learning you had to do along the way to get up to speed from a pharma perspective. Yeah, there's something about my upbringing and, and you know, the formative years where I actually enjoy being the dumb guy in the room. Uh, in fact, I thrive off of it. It's never happened because I'm pretty dumb, but the day that I look around a room and realize that I'm the smart guy in the room, that that's that's going to be a horrible organization. I, I want nothing to do with it. Yeah, I think that's why I gravitate towards more of the tech, the innovative, the science side of things, because I'm a poli-sci guy who grew up in the wilderness in North Idaho. I don't belong in those environments. So that's part of my purpose, right? Once you learn that or you have that experience and you feel it, you're like, okay, now I won't go back to that. I won't do brick and mortar I won't, I won't go back to where I was one of the smarter ones. 
now I, I purposely point my networking and my efforts in the direction of brilliant science. I, I know I'll be happy once I land there. But yeah, it's uh, it's tough uh, learning a new language in my current environment. I'm just now, now I've been here almost two years, I'm just now starting to be able to speak the language because my gosh, a lot of acronyms. I thought the military had a ton and a lot of words with more than 10 letters in them. So that's, that's fascinating uh, to learn a science that's... Uh, general public hasn't quite grasped or understand yet. It's pretty cool. Yeah, some cutting edge stuff for sure. But just from that people perspective, you alluded to something, which is it being okay with not being the smartest guy in the room. And that takes a lot of things, right? I mean, humility, confidence, security. Like how do you how do you go about that instilling that within your team? Obviously that's just part of your own ethos, right? Like you seek out these environments where there's so much just, you know, rock star talent around you. But like how do you work with some of your leaders in terms of being okay with that and, and hiring people that maybe are experts in areas they're not experts. Well, I think um, being you know enlisted made me a better officer. Being blue-collar makes me a better white-collar executive. Those experiences give me a higher level of empathy and attunement to what's going on around me, my environment. Also, the assumption that everybody's got something going on in their life that day just because they have one tough day or drop an F-bomb in a meeting where maybe they shouldn't have, don't crucify them for it. Turn it into a learning moment. So I think great leaders, great HR leaders have probably lived lived a life and not in a bottle or a book. Absolutely. It's, it's not just the, the skills that show up in your resume. It's all about the experiences you have that really make you that empathetic leader that you, know, you can inspire people by connecting to them in more authentic ways as well. Yeah, certainly. I have two teammates right now going through some relationship stuff that's, you know, hard not to impact your work, especially in COVID where you're working from home and everything's kind of intertwined nowadays anyway. And, uh, you know, having gone through some of that in my life, a couple of divorces and and different chapters of my life, I think it allows me to connect better with them and help them navigate through it in an easier, not easier, but better way. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, but being comfortable and being vulnerable and sharing some of those stories, I mean, what a great way to connect with them. And what a, I mean, how much more connected they feel to you and the organization when you're sharing some of these things. You're, you're becoming more approachable and more authentic and more real, frankly. Well, sometimes you just got to go with your DNA, man. I mean, I'm an Irishman who was a sailor. I was born to tell stories. <laughs> And a proclivity to drop F-bombs too, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it's hard not to. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to just switch gears a little bit because you've had the chance to sit in so many HR, talent acquisition seats. Like, what are you seeing in terms of some of the new skills, new experiences? Like, what are you looking for in workers these days? I mean, you talked about, hey, it's okay to maybe bounce around a little bit. Hey, it shows some experience. I mean, before... I think sales maybe had the unique pass on that. Cause like, Hey, as long as they could come in and deliver, yeah, maybe you're okay with short stints, but it sounds like that's acceptable now too. It's just more stops along the way. But what are some other things? Like what are some skills you're seeing as really must haves in terms of getting a job these days? I think team ability is becoming the big one, you know, watching these guys, uh, Mike Sorrell and, and, and George and the guys doing uh, war on talent. It's a great group to follow. They've really been focusing on that, you know, and, and Jocko and those guys focus a little bit on it. Team of teams, that's a great one. But yeah, the team ability is is where consultants are making most of their money now. It's not 
do you know what you're doing? Are you a technical expert? It's, are you an asshole when you're working with others in, at work? How are you being perceived? How are you rubbing off? And in today's age, at the speed at which we're moving, the reliance on technology, you know, and the multicultural, and now we're adding, we're literally layering in generations as the workforce is getting older and younger at the same time. Team ability, I think, is, is the big one. I know that's, that sounds obvious, and I'm probably being Captain Obvious there, but I don't think there's a lot of true expertise on that. And being inquisitive, you know, in today's age to just Google all the answers. Well, what, what if you're in an industry or you're in new tech, and the answers aren't on the internet? Uh, what if you actually have to figure out how the garage door works rather than just pushing the button 20 times and getting mad at it because it's not? You know, I've literally on a daily basis watched people in that type of scenario forget that they can open the garage door manually. And to me, that's fascinating. And then three, I think just good old fashioned hard work. And so, I, you know, I think if, if there's a new industry out there, it's going to be tied to that. I mean, there's, there's shows about it, right? Mike, you know, getting in, getting dirty, getting political about it a little bit. But man, to have a great work ethic nowadays, uh, you're standing out. I don't care what company you're in. You're, you're going to have a, you'll have a great uh, career path if you, if you can just grind and not cry and whimper about it when, when you need to turn some long hours. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so important, especially you think about that more from a startup perspective, right? Like you have to be, I always like to ask those questions of people like, how scrappy are you? You know, when you don't have the layers of support, especially if you take someone from a big org that's, you know, got a bunch of a huge team around them is like, how scrappy are you? You know, it's like, it's really important that hard work. I remember back to a, a very glamorous, at least on paper, internship at Lucasfilm, one of the top 100 internships in America. And I guess what my job was, I worked in the fitness center in this general store. <laughs> I was awesome. filing, which is going to date me a little bit. I was uh, cleaning the pool and I was, my best job was power sanding the softball benches. So, you know, looked good on my resume. I definitely flipped it <laughs> to look more positive than that. But uh, yeah, I think it's really important that, that a ability or willingness to get dirty and to work hard. So you break down the team ability stuff. I mean, that's stuff that's like, that's sort of always been important. I mean, I think it's, um, I mean, I guess I'm glad there's more of a spotlight on it now, but like break that apart a little bit. I mean, I think about a lot of communication, managers acting as coaches to their teams. Like, what are you seeing though? When you think about how you're evaluating someone in their team ability, quote unquote, like, what are you looking for specifically? I think patience, you know, the ability to over communicate and patient people, might say at once as a leader you really need to understand just like a sales cycle five to eight times is probably the magic spot uh not one or two empathy you know the true understanding that everybody's going through something and how to approach people especially in stressful time periods like now with the pandemic social injustice uh tough you know and shifting economy uh not easy when you're filling an f-150 truck with five dollar a gallon gas in california and so many other things. I think the other one is knowing your strengths, right? So some of the exercises that, you know, you and I are familiar with because we're interested in it, but doing, you know, predictive index, Gallup strengths, Hogan assessments, all, all those kinds of tools are, you know, really becoming more and more important as people really just want to hit a button and get a, a one-page readout and have the magic happen for their team to be successful. As you know, that takes hours. It takes a professional coach. It takes science, real science behind it to really have a diverse team of different ages, different cultures, 
oh, that's that's why you react that way when I come into your office unannounced or unscheduled. You're wired to not like that. Now that I know that, I might change my behavior and we'll meet in the middle and we'll work better together. There's, you know, there's a million different examples like that, but companies are in such a hurry right now to push towards their exit or to push towards something that they forget to slow down and take the time to do those types of exercises, um, off-sites, um, all that kind of connectivity, having a meal together. Can't replace that with a Zoom meeting, I promise. Yeah, no, that's tricky for sure. And you mentioned just all the assessments and strengths. And I think one of the biggest benefits of that is just just cracking people's heads open in terms of uh, greater self-awareness, self-awareness of themselves, but also awareness of others. So whether it's strengths or whether it's uh, motives and personality styles, so powerful. This is a great way to start to think about things differently. Say, hey, it's like you and I may, maybe have the same experience, same work for the same companies, but like, wow, we may fundamentally be different different strengths, different perspectives, what drives us is different. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. I think about that a lot in terms of greater self-awareness and there's also awareness of other people who are different. You just touched on some really important feedback. I think that's a new a, a new energized hot area in the HR circles, tools, training, consulting materials that enable quality, real, transparent, accurate feedback and so, you know, coming from environments, whether it was a military or high-performing companies, real-time feedback was definitely a thread in the day-to-day operations and abilities. But man, nowadays it's it's hard to tell somebody that they failed at something and not have them just lose their mind and need the quiet room for a couple hours because you just told them that they failed. And so providing that feedback and creating an environment where it's safe and accepted is getting, uh, I think it's getting more challenging. That's just my my observation. Yeah, I led a session actually recently where we were focusing on feedback. So feedback to your team, feedback to your colleagues, feedback to your manager. And it's just such a incredibly powerful tool, but man, it can go, it can go really bad too, right? I mean, underlying the whole thing, as you know, is trust, right? You have to develop trust. You can't just come up to someone out of the blue, no context and just give them a zinger. Can't give them that, don't buzz them with the high fastball. But, you know, it's like positioning it in service of their growth is really helpful. I think also I talk about making it a habit, like make it part of a routine for someone who I was definitely very conflict avoid and I'm definitely less so now, but giving, making it like part of your root, your cadence, your conversation, your team meetings, getting feedback when you meet with your direct reports or your boss is like, make it just like flex it, build it like a muscle. I think it becomes much more approachable that way as well, at least from my experience. I like that little video that's out there where there's some big metal gate and there's two or three dogs on each side and they're like, you know, just brutal, mean, vicious dogs that are barking at each other and the gate's opening and then the gate's open and then the dogs stop barking, wagging their tail and then they go off and play together. I think that's, you know, today's age with social media and, you know, everybody's an expert, everybody has feedback until you're face to face at that point. That's when I think feedback is the most valuable. And hopefully, like the dogs, you can go off and play together. Yeah, so much good imagery. Yeah, and social media is just the, the you know extreme example of that, right? But yeah, the barking and then, yeah, gate goes away. Well, I really appreciate your time, Phil. I know you're an incredibly busy guy doing so much. Where can people go to find out more about you, maybe connect with you on social media, but also all the great work that you're doing at Dendrion? Oh, man. You know, LinkedIn is my battle space. It's been my playground for years. 
And I feel like I've got a, a pretty rich network of great folks like yourself and uh, some some good wisdom battle scars to share. So if anyone really wants to follow me or connect with me, LinkedIn is probably the best spot. Great. And how about Dendrion? Yeah, same. I am the administrator of Dendrion on LinkedIn, and uh, I, I never miss an opportunity to share what we're up to, what our opportunities are. You know, we're growing a cellular therapy CMO, so we're going to begin making uh, products across multiple indications for other companies. Wildly exciting. So that's the startup portion of Dendrion. And then we are turning, uh, we have turned Provenge and Dendrion around after a few years of, of declining sales there. So certainly follow me. I got a great HR team. We're doing a ton of cool stuff. We're learning the hard way in some cases. So still, still don't haven't quite figured out, not hitting all 18 holes in one, but uh, a birdie here, a bogey there. At the end of the end of the day, I feel like we're winning. That's fantastic. And by the way, what a great example of getting your hands dirty. You're the head of HR. <laughs> you're also the LinkedIn group administrator. So Yeah, and I respond to everybody on Glassdoor as well. So that, that stuff's important to me. You know, I, as an owner, I want to own it. Yep, absolutely. Well, hey, thanks, Phil. Great catching up again, and I appreciate your time. Thanks, Darren. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled, The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks and see you all in the next episode.